Welcome to the OKC First podcast. Together, we're learning to do three things. Friendship with God. Friendship with one another. And open friendship for the sake of the world. For more information about OKC First, please visit OKCFirst.com. Welcome, everybody, to the preaching moment. Uh, just a couple of announcements before we get into the sermon. First of all, um, we continue to feed lots of families around here in Avarilla. Pastor Avarilla Fleming has helped us to organize that whole effort. And here's the thing. Uh, sometimes we feed 25 and 30 families a week, and other times we feed five, eight families a week. What we know is this. Uh, we need you to keep helping us with food. So if you would... If you would, you can email us at info at okcfirst.com for a, a shopping list, if you would, but we really need that help. We are running low. Thankfully, folks have given some money. We can go directly to the store and buy some of the stuff, but it works better when you help us by donating some of the groceries that you're probably going to the store to get anyway, so please continue to help us. Uh, second, uh, we are aware that we have a congregation now that we would call our digital congregation. We hear from folks every once in a while who are both homebound here and can't come for various and sundry reasons, but we hear from folks literally from all over the world, from Africa and Ireland and exotic places like Kansas and, and places like Texas, and we think we have a digital congregation that we need to care for. So Jason and I, you're going to hear more announcements about this in the coming weeks, we're actually going to do an online membership class. Turns out we, this is all legal, we can do this. If you out there don't have a church home and you're not close to a church, we would love to be your digital church home. And so we're going to have a membership class here coming up. Just kind of keep an eye out for those announcements coming up here pretty soon. And lastly, I am grateful for my friend, Reverend Britt Bowler-Jack. I loved her sermon last week. And so thank you to Britt for holding down the pulpit and for letting me preach this week. I appreciate all of that. So let's get in to this. Uh, Dateline. Bayonne, France. Now, before we get into that, let's remind ourselves what Karl Barth has said about this. Before we get into this newspaper headline, he says, you got to take your Bible and take your newspaper and read both, but you have to, have to, have to interpret these newspapers and these stories through and with and from your Bible. In Bayonne, France, a man was beaten to death. A bus driver, a 59-year-old bus driver was beaten to death because he asked the passengers on the bus to wear a mask. A group of them, perhaps as many as five of them, dragged him off the bus and beat him so severely that he died two or three days later. Now, church, I don't know what to tell you about this. I, I don't know how to talk us through a situation like this, except that if I'm going to read and interpret the news through my Bible, here's what I would call this. I would call this the height of sin. The height of sin. Sin that demonstrates itself by being so painfully self-interested that it would do damage and violence to the other because somehow my sense of self my sense of self is being violated when I'm asked to wear a mask. And by the way, it's the law in France. He was just asking people to follow the law. Thankfully, that's France and not Oklahoma. Even as we speak, there is a city council meeting here in Oklahoma City. And I have been following along a little bit at a time here today, just some of the, the callers and some of the, the mentions out there. And, and I would like to tell you that this is limited to France, and it's not. 
Now, I've not witnessed any kind of violent actions yet myself, but you can hear the seeds of violence in the voices of the people who are not going to be bothered by a mask. So sin, one of the ways we can define sin is like this. Self-interest to the exclusion of the other. The opposite of that sin is love. And not just any kind of love, but the kind of love that makes room for and space for, allowance for the other. The love that is willing to sacrifice for the other. The love that is willing to put the other in front of myself. as demonstrated and embodied by our Savior. If you were around here about a year ago, you'll remember that about this time, we were actually selling tickets, (laughs) movie tickets, you know, like Nazarenes do. We were selling movie tickets to go see a movie, the live-action version of The Lion King. And if you remember, we packed out that Harkins Theater, 250-some-odd tickets. I'm still grateful to the Fun Committee for such a thing. Can't wait to do this kind of thing again. There are a couple of lines in there that I think are still pertinent, that still kind of make me choke up a little bit. The talk about this kingdom being everywhere that the light touches. Oh, I just love that. But the, but the, 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 the question that haunts me is the one that's asked of Simba. And it goes something like this. Do you know who you are? And, and I want to say to the people of God, to the body of Christ, the body of Christ gathered here tonight, thank you for coming. The body of Christ that will gather in homes all over the place to watch what we're going to be saying and doing on Sunday morning. I, I want to say this to all of OKC First, wherever you find yourself, but all churches and all Christians. Do you, do we know who we are? I would submit that we forget. We, we forget not only who we are, but what it means to be who we are and how it should dictate our steps. Um, I believe that this is part and parcel what Paul is trying to get across to this church in Rome. Now, Britt described it last week just perfectly. This church in Rome, there is a fracture. You can go ahead and advance the slide, Chris. There is a fracture between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians there is tension, maybe, maybe perhaps we would call it ethnic tension. There is division, perhaps even the seeds of violence and sin, sin. And Paul is trying to say to them by telling and retelling all of their stories, we're about to get into that too. Listen, you've got to remember who God is and who we are as a reflection of who God is. You've got to remember who we are and what it means to be who we are as the body of Christ and the people of God. You've got to remember. And so, in fact, he does. He tries to tell them these stories. And he tells them these stories about the Exodus, these these very foundational, definitional stories about who they are. Let's just walk through this again. The people of God were under the thumb of Pharaoh. They cried out to God, and God delivers them. God delivers them in this moment that we call Passover. They are able to pass through the Red Sea and on the other side side of the Red Sea. They are free people. And then, this is where we're going to kind of be tonight, they are led around by a pillar of fire and a pillar of smoke during all of these wanderings toward the promised land. And Paul is saying a similar sort of Exodus experience is available to the people of God, the body of Christ, the church, if you know what it is that you are looking for. So watch this. 
And so we have a new exodus. Instead of Pharaoh, now it's sin and death that holds the people of God under the thumb. Under the thumb. Sin and death. But we have a Passover moment that we understand to be the crucifixion of Christ. We are freed by this death, but then also by this resurrection. And we too pass through the waters and our different people on the other side of the waters. We call this the moment of baptism. And we too were wandering around this in-between time. We are in this in-between wandering around time, but we're not so much led by a pillar of smoke and a pillar of fire. We are led around by the spirit, the spirit of this resurrected Christ. And we too are headed toward a promised land. We, are, we too are headed toward the end, capital E, where God comes here and finishes what God started. And just so you know, here's a reference point. Here we are right here in this particular wandering around period. It is crucial now that we are here in this wandering around period, it is crucial that we understand who we are. It is crucial because God, given opportunity, would like to work in and through us to move all of creation toward this new understanding of the promised land. Let me ask this again, and you're going to get tired of hearing this, but this will kind of be the refrain. Do you know who you are? As a member of the body of Christ, do you know who you are? Do I know who I am? Do we know, as the body of Christ, do we know who we are? Do we know what that means? Do we know how that should affect us as we go to work, as we go home, as we drive, as we spend, as we vote? Do we understand who we are? Paul's admonition to the people in Rome is that they have forgotten who they are, and so he is busy trying to help them to remember who they are. Take a look at this. Romans 8, 14, all who are led by the Spirit, now that we are wandering around in this wandering around time, all who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. Now, we have all grown up singing, those of us who are my age, somewhat younger and mostly older, we have all grown up singing this, I'm so glad I'm a part of the family of God. You know what? I don't know if you've ever been annoyed by that song, but it turns out there's some great theology in that song. We are, in fact, children of God. But here is the, the ramification. You did not, because you're a child of God, you did not receive a spirit of slavery. You're not going to go back to Egypt, a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received a spirit of adoption. The way that the people of God in the desert, in the wilderness, saw all the miracles that resulted in their being liberated from Egypt, they understood as they wandered around in the desert that they belonged to this God who rescued them. So too, those of us who are paying attention recognizes that we recognize that God in Christ has rescued and liberated us. We should also understand ourselves as belonging to God. God made the move. God did the heavy lifting. God liberated us and now has gifted us places in the family. You have received a spirit of adoption. And when we cry, Abba, Father, it is that very spirit bearing witness with our spirit that we are in fact the children of God. We are given opportunity to say Abba, Father. By the way, Abba, an Aramaic term that Jesus used that we all understand to be a term of great intimacy and it is gifted to us. You aren't just adopted, you are adopted, and something within you wells up and calls God, Abba, 
the same term of intimacy that Jesus uses. In other words, this is big, this is huge. You are brothers and sisters of Jesus. And full beneficiaries of whatever it is that will come to Jesus. Jesus being the heir (laughs) to the throne. All of that belongs also to all of us. So, if we're children, then we are also heirs. Heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. Can you still hear that family of God song in there? If, in fact, if, if, in fact, we suffer with him so that we may also be glorified with him. Now, here's the thing. We are joint heirs and recipients of all that Jesus enjoys by being the son of God. If and when we join Christ in the very posture of God, and that is to suffer Love for the other. I want to draw a distinction again. And some of you are already nervous because you feel like I've gotten too political or partisan, and I'm sorry about that, but just relax. It's going to get way worse, okay? I want to draw a distinction again between the person who so wants to fight for his or her rights to the exclusion of the other, Listen, rights are important. I I will say that. Rights are important. In fact, I will be the person in a lot of the rooms that I'm in today to fight for a person's rights. Fighting for my rights to the exclusion of the other, no matter what happens to the other, is dramatically different from suffering love for the other. One of those is Christian in that it embodies the very posture of Christ. I don't care what you do for a living. I don't care who your neighbors are. I don't care who your, your, your goofy family members are. I have some too. It is incumbent upon us who want to wear the t-shirts of Christianity that we are more known for our capacity to suffer love and make allowances for the other than that we will fight for our rights just in front of while we exclude the other. I'm not trying to talk anybody out of their party. I'm really not. I'm trying to say we don't really have an option, those of us who want to wear the T-shirts, who want to be understood as the people of God, to be understood as a person of God, a member of the people of God, you need to think through what it means to suffer love for the other because that is the dividing line. But I'm very well behaved. You might also be a goat. Like in the sheep and the goats. Do you love sacrificially and make room for the other? Make room where? Yes. Yes. In your home. In your heart. In your opinion. (laughs) Is there hospitality there for that one who is not you? who is not like you, who doesn't like you. Can you tell that I'm weary of Christianity that is more apt or more likely to fight for one's own rights to the exclusion of the other than make room for the other? I'm exhausted by it. 
To be a children, to be a children, to be a child of God. We won't edit that out. This happens. To be a child of God, to be a, a joint heir with Christ, is to willingly and voluntarily take on the posture of the one who loves sacrificially, or else don't you understand your baptism? You are lowered into this pool, and some, I can't wait until we use this pool again. <laughs> lowered into the pool and identified with the very death of Christ who died because he was suffering love for the other. Which turns out this love, and this is one of the things that we learned from Dr. Green years ago, suffering love, suffering love is a power greater than all power. Suffering love is more powerful than power itself. And you are brought out of the baptistry, representative of the very resurrection of Christ. And in that moment are gifted the resources to understand yourself as a joint heir with Jesus. If, says Romans, if you will carry on the family business, which is suffering love for the other. And there is no way around that. If Christianity is anything, it is suffering love for the other. If it is not suffering love for the other, then Christianity is not anything. Now, read your Bibles. And then read your newspapers. Where are the children of God? Where are the brothers and sisters of Christ? Where are the people who are gifted the resources to help execute the very mission of God? I would submit to you that in France, if you're going to beat a bus driver to death, you are decreating creation. You're devolving creation. When sin reigns, chaos reigns, and things are sort of uncreated or decreated. When Christ was raised from the dead, the big project of recreation was kicked off in earnest. Amen? When you and I love like Christ loves, selflessly, sacrificially, without keeping score, in our homes, in our churches, in our places of business, in our neighborhoods, when we show up to take part in our cities, in our states, in our counties' decisions, when we show up as the people who suffer love and make room for the other, we then are also part of the recreation process. That's the way it was always intended to be, always intended that God would use us, people just like us, flawed that we are. God has always intended from the very beginning, look all the way back in Genesis 2, sometimes referred to as pride rock. When things work, God has always seen fit to use people like us to exercise dominion, dominion, to help God do what God wants to do all over the place, not just in the church with the pretty windows and the steeple, but out there where life happens as well. And when we love as Christ loves, we are a part 
of the recreation process. And let me tell you, let me tell you who knows this. Creation. Verse 19. All of creation waits, says Paul. All of creation waits. If creation is throwing you off and all you can think about are are birds and trees and environmental sorts of things, it is that, but it's more than that. So if that's throwing you off, how about this? All of life, all of life with the capital L, everything that the light touches is waiting with eager longing for the revealing of the children of God. Another way to say that is like this. All of life is waiting for us to figure out who we are for us to figure out who God is and who we are as a reflection of who God is. All of life is fixable with the help of the Spirit. Not, not on our own strength, but with the help of the Spirit, the very presence of God, all of this is fixable, and we can be a part of the fixing and the recreating, but only if we learn the power of suffering love. One of my favorite authors says this, The whole creation, sun, moon, sea, sky, birds, animals, plants, long for the time when God's people will be revealed as God's glorious human agents set in authority over the world. Now, okay, that word authority, some of our power-hungry people are like, oh, I like this. (laughs) I, I like this authority language, but you need to recognize that this is authority as Christ would have understood it. Did Christ have great authority? Absolutely seemed to have incredible authority. So much authority that he was killed. but he changed all of creation. Here's another quote. As God sent Jesus to rescue the human race, so God will send Jesus' younger siblings in the power of the Spirit to rescue the whole created order to bring that justice and peace to which the whole creation yearns. The justice and the peace for which the whole creation yearns. Jesus' younger siblings, how about that? That's who we are, you and I. See, here's what happened. If we were to go all the way back again to creation, all the way back to the moments that we see depicted there in Genesis 1, 2, especially 3. Mankind, gifted. Humanity, gifted with this capacity to choose. Corrupts creation by choosing poorly. And over a period of time, the people continue to wander farther and farther and farther afield. Every time, every time, because they choose themselves to the exclusion of the other. Every single time. Every time because they choose themselves to the exclusion of the other. And God, and if we have a problem, I guess we're going to have to take it up with God. God seems to allow this corruption to take place, perhaps to finally prove to all parties involved, this does not get you to life. This gets you to death, actually, to slavery. This gets you to agony, to pain, to exclusion, to exploitation. This is where it gets you until finally we see what it does to our Savior. Again, again, Cross does not demonstrate how angry God gets at sinners. The cross demonstrates 
how far love will go to prove love to those same sinners, even as those same sinners are hammering in the nails of the one who dies suffering love. And so it is in and through Jesus and then the younger siblings of Jesus, that would be us, that God seeks to bring healing and mending to the world as these younger siblings, that would be us, remember who we are, remember what it means to be who we are, and like our Savior, suffer love for the other. For in hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what is seen? I can see it. I don't have to hope for it. It's right there. But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. Groaning and waiting. Eager but patient. That is the Christian posture. That is the Christian posture for those of us who do want to be understood as the sons and the daughters of God, the brothers and the sisters of Christ, the younger siblings who are, in fact, with our bodies trying, trying to embody what could be in a world that seems to be, at times, devolving into chaos. I'll say it as clearly as I know how. Vote how you like. Your vote and your life must be reminiscent, must be reminiscent of the one who loves sacrificially. Now I'm gonna, I'm gonna confess for a minute. This message that we could be as the younger siblings of Jesus, that, that we could be part of the process whereby all of creation, all of life experiences healing and mending. This, this for me is the hope of faith. I, it, fear of punishment no longer moves me to a better place. If faith ever was for me simply a matter of policing myself. It's no longer that way. There's, there's no energy in that for me. I'm, I'm not going to be a better person. But against this larger backdrop of what it is that God wants to do in and through me and in and through us to heal and mend all of creation, in those situations, then I can find the energy to be better so that I can be a better vessel through which healing and mending might be experienced. This resonates with me. There's something about this. There's something about this that wells up within me. If I'm reading Paul right, that is the spirit that causes something to well up within me that, so that I can understand myself as having been adopted. There's something that wells up within me that wants to say to God the Father, Abba, Father, to use that term of intimacy. I am thrilled to be a part of the family business, the family ministry, to be a part of the process whereby we move things to this new understanding of promised 
land. To be a part of the process whereby, just a part, can't do it on my own, need all of you, more importantly, need the Spirit of God to help the whole thing work. But a part of the process whereby God finishes what God started. Somebody said something not too long ago that we have written down as a staff, we like it, it may end up on embroidered on a pillow someday. We're the church that speaks a little bit less about leaving here and going to heaven and a little bit more about bringing heaven here because I think that's the gospel. Now, that's not new to me. For decades, for centuries, for millennia, you can see it in scripture here today, the people of God at times <laughs> have caught the vision of what it is that God's trying to do in the here and now and how we, you and I, can be part of it all. Now I've got a video I wanna show, now I've used it before. But that, this is kinda of what I do. I find a video that I really like and I'll try to figure out a dozen different ways to use it. Man, I really like this one. Uh, the song that they're gonna be singing, albeit in a different language, is the hymn of joy, or in other words, uh, joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Now those are the lyrics that were written in 1907 by a guy by the name of Henry Van Dyke, set to the music of Beethoven's Ninth Symphony, the last song. Now before we watch the video and, and hear the music, just look at some of these lyrics. I'm telling you, it's not just the people who write scripture who get all of this. It's the poets, it's the musicians who get it too. All thy works with joy surround thee, heaven and earth and heaven reflect thy rays. Stars and angels sing around thee, center of unbroken praise. Field and forest, vale and mountain, flowery meadow, flashing sea, chanting bird and flowing fountain, call us to rejoice in thee. Can you see there the entirety of creation getting involved, benefiting from all of us finally recognizing who we are as a reflection of who God is? Next verse, thou art giving and forgiving, ever blessing, ever blessed, wellspring of the joy of living, ocean depth of happy rest, thou the Father, Christ our brother, all who live in love are thine. Teach us how to love each other. Lift us to the joy divine. Love this. Mortals join the mighty chorus which the morning stars began. Father love is reigning o'er us. Brother love binds man to man. Ever singing, march we onward. Victors in the midst of strife like a pandemic. Like racial unrest. But joyful music lifts us sunward in the triumph song of life. Now this is a, is a little video and I'm gonna give you some handles to know how to watch it. You ready? So here's the thing. I, I want you to see the musicians and that's the people playing the instruments but also the singers, that's us. And the song that we will be singing in the video is the song of the gospel. Now notice the body postures of the people who come and are watching. That is the interested creation, longing to hear the song, longing to see us play and sing the song, hoping for something. You can even see it. You can see it. With those handles, let's watch this. 
as much as I love the performance and the song itself, and what always gets me every time is the reaction of the crowd. Because it is for me <clears throat> reminiscent of what I believe creation is aching for, where we are concerned. I think a fractured world is aching for us to figure out who we are. To figure out how it is that we can be the right kinds of reflections of our suffering Savior. Because God in God's wisdom knows this is the only way that healing and mending comes to a fractured city, if you listen to the council meeting, a fractured state, a fractured country, or haven't you noticed, a fractured world. Where are the people of God? I don't think, I don't think we should underestimate the calling, the power of our calling, and the resources made available to the people who would be understood as children of God and the younger siblings of Christ. So do you know who you are? Do we know who we are? Are we embodying day in and day out at school, in the church, here in the pews, out there as we consume our news from various and sundry resources, as we go to work, as we come into contact with our enemies, our opposites and our irritants, do we in those moments remember who we are? Perhaps it's time to pray and confess. Let's pray. Okay, God, we confess that there are many days in a month, perhaps many days in the week. God, maybe there are several hours in a day that we do in fact forget who we are. We confess, God, in our, in our being chronically normal and inescapably human that we do, in fact, have the capacity for amnesia. To forget who you are and to forget who we are as a reflection. To forget that we have, in fact, been redeemed. Redeemed. Liberated from the inevitable and the ultimate captivity of sin and death. We, we forget all of that. We forget that we have been gifted this resource of life. We forget, God, and when we forget, the damage is done not only to ourselves, but we recognize as we listen to the words and the voice of Paul here, we recognize that the damage, when we forget, is extended to the creation that's around us. We, we confess, Lord, that we seem sometimes to be more fluent in the language of division and choosing up sides. At times it seems like we're more fluent in the language of power politics. At times, at times the call to this particular mission, even and especially, I guess, especially as it calls us to make room for the other, to turn the other cheek, to walk 
second mile, to love our enemies. God, at times it seems counterintuitive, but perhaps that is just evidence of how far we have wandered away from the family. We confess, Lord, that there are times when there's great distance between where we are and where you are, where the family is. We confess, Lord, that in order to close that gap, we'll need you to come to us again. So come to us, Lord. Close the gap, close the distance, and remind us, remind us again who you are, who Christ is, how it is that Christ goes about being the Messiah, and who we are as a result. Church, I want to give you a few moments now to pray your own prayer of confession, especially if you, like me, have a tendency to forget who you are. Now allow me to read this prayer of confession for all of us, me included, as Lisa comes to lead us in prayers of petition and intercession. May the Almighty God have mercy on us and forgive us all our sins through our Lord Jesus Christ and strengthen us in all goodness and by the power of the Holy Spirit keep us in eternal life.